The most important thing is not to win, but to take part. Now, these words, they form part of a statement that make up what is known as the Olympic Games Creed. And I'd imagine very few here this morning will be familiar with that entire statement. But if you were born before the year 1964, if you watched the games that particular year, then you might just remember the context in which these words were used. See, the games that year, they were held in Tokyo, Japan, and a small contingent of athletes were sent from the little island of Sri Lanka. And included among those athletes was a 10,000 meter runner, by the name of Ranatungu Karunananda. And you can imagine, just for my own sake, I'm going to refer to him as Karu. That's the nickname that he was given. So this man, Karu. And as these athletes in that particular race set off that morning to complete their scheduled 25 laps, very quickly this man, Karu, found himself drifting away from that leading pack. You fast forward 28 minutes later, 150 meters to go, cameras fixed upon that leading pack, and here you have it, this man, Karu, is right in the middle of that pack. Those athletes crossed the line, 25 laps later, they were exhausted naturally, and this man, Karu, continued on. Why? Well, unlike the other athletes, this man hadn't finished, you see, he still had four laps to go. Because in those 28 minutes prior, every athlete in that field had passed this man multiple times. And the crowd, they watched on, they were confused, they were confounded. Why is he continuing to run? What's the point? What's he going to gain from it? Their confusion quickly turned then to annoyance. They began to berate him. They began to laugh at him. They hurled insults. They mocked him. But on he went undeterred. By the time he got to the final lap, those boos and those insults, they were long gone. And they now were replaced with admiration, adulation, applause for this unknown athlete by the name of Karu from Sri Lanka. He would cross the line almost four minutes later. But he finished the race. Unlike those other athletes who gave up, he was committed to finishing that race despite the discouragement, despite the difficulty, despite what other people might say. And he was interviewed after that race. And in that interview, he was asked the very obvious question, well, why did you continue to run despite the fact you weren't going to win? And the answer he gave was this. The Olympic spirit is not to win. It's to take part. So I completed my rounds. And here in Philippians chapter 3, we find Paul, and he had a goal in sight. He had a finish line that he was heading toward, and yet the determination and the perseverance that Paul demonstrates is so much greater than this man we've just spoken about. And you study Paul's life, and you don't need to tell you it, it was one filled with difficulty. It was one filled with many discouragements. We read of how he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was rejected, he was ridiculed. And he now finds himself here in the book of Philippians. He's writing from a prison cell in Rome. He's unsure of his future. And nobody would have blamed Paul had he said, you know what, I give up. My work's over. What's the point? There's nothing more that I can do. And yet what we read is anything but that. Because look what he says with me in verses 13 and 14. Familiar words. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, 
But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul recognized that however long he had to live, God had a work for him to do. Because of that, he was determined not to allow his circumstances, his difficulties, his disappointments in the past to hinder him. He was committed to serving the Lord. And I wonder this morning, is that really how we all feel as Christians? Committed to serving the Lord, whatever the circumstances are in our lives. We got to the point where challenges and difficulties, and it's got to that point, we just want to give up. What's the point anymore because I don't see anything happening? Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 3 that despite the many discouragements that we have and we see in our lives, there is still a work to do. And he encourages us here in these two verses to keep our eyes on the prize. And really that's the subject, that's what I want to leave with you this morning in our time together. It's this thought of keeping our eyes on the prize. And in this, there are a number of things that I want you to see. In keeping our eyes on the prize, the first thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge the present. Acknowledge the present, because look at how uh, verse 13 begins. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. And that word count, it means to reckon. It means to regard something. The Greek word, if you like, it is logizomai. And the reason I give that is because it's actually where we get our English word logic. What logic is. Paul's saying he's given serious thought to this. It's not something he's done willy-nilly. It's not something he's done off the cuff. He hasn't thought about it. No, he's given serious thought to it. And he arrives at a conclusion, a logical conclusion. And what is that conclusion? Well, look what he says in verse 13. He says, I count not myself to have apprehended. Word apprehend. If you apprehend something, you take hold of it. You grasp it. You seize it with intent. And what exactly is it then that Paul hadn't taken hold of? Well, then you cast your eyes back up to verse 12. And you read what Paul says here. Because he uses that exact same word, apprehend, on two occasions. He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And you read these words, and what Paul's implying here is that there were some within the Philippian church, and they felt it arrived. We've made it. Doesn't get any better than this. There's nothing more that needs to be done. I can put my feet up. And Paul had to remind them that it isn't the case because he says, I'm not yet perfect and I haven't yet arrived. He's saying the process of sanctification wasn't yet complete in him. You see, full and perfect salvation is not something that can be attained in this life. It is something that we will experience one day when our bodies are glorified. And because of that, there's never a time in our lives, when we do not need to pursue Christ. Paul reminds us of that truth this morning. And he encourages us 
to continue on in the work, knowing that one day that work will be completed. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I think Paul's mindset, it ought to challenge us greatly this morning with respect to where we are. And I say that because you study Paul's ministry. Paul was a church planter. Paul seen many souls saved. He discipled many young men who then went into the ministry and served alongside Paul. And Paul could have very easily allowed complacency to creep in here. I'm in prison now. I'm no longer of any use. My work's done. But no, he doesn't say that. He says he hasn't yet arrived. Because he recognized he was still in a race. He recognized there was still a goal to head toward. There was a prize to reach. We read about that prize in verse 14. And he hadn't attained that prize. Despite the many successes and failures, Paul was committed as ever. You might say here this morning that Paul, he was as zealous for the Lord then in that prison cell as he was when the Lord graciously saved him on the Damascus road that we read about in Acts chapter 9. And he mightn't have been able to serve the Lord in the same way as he had in the past. He's confined to a prison cell. No longer able to share the gospel with them. He no longer has the freedom to speak to people face to face. But it never prevented Paul from doing something. He simply adapted his approach. Instead of meeting the people in person, we find him writing to them. He's writing to encourage them. But he's also writing to challenge them to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I make the point this morning, because you might find yourself in similar circumstances. You've recently changed job, moved house, Suffered a change in your health, perhaps, and as a result, you're no longer able to do the things you used to, no longer able to serve the Lord in the way you used to serve Him. Might be a case you've gained additional responsibilities. Maybe you've had a child. Maybe you now have to take care of a loved one. Whatever reason it is this morning, the question I want to ask and I want to leave with you is this Like Paul, are we willing to adapt? Are we willing to push ourselves out of our comfort zone in order that the Lord still might use us? Or are we content to simply let that door close behind us and say, we're through, we're done? You might say to me this morning, well, I can't possibly think how I'm going to be of any use in my condition. Let me ask you another question. Have you actually asked the Lord to give you an opportunity? Are you actively praying for the Lord to bring an opportunity into your life? Because you know what? I can speak from experience. When you do that, when you pray to the Lord, when you ask him for an opportunity, it's not too long before he gives you that opportunity. And when he gives you the opportunity, by the way, you need to take that opportunity. You've prayed for it. You need to take it with both hands. So in keeping our eyes on the prize, there's this need to acknowledge the present, that we haven't arrived, we haven't apprehended. But then the second thing I want you to see is that we need to abandon the past. You look what it says in verse 13. It says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind And when Paul uses this kind of terminology, we're not to think here. You know, Paul's developed amnesia. He's lost his memory. He's come up with some new technique to erase his past. No, that's not what he's saying. Because in using that word forgetting, what Paul is saying is this. 
I no longer allow myself to be influenced or affected by my past. I have a conscious awareness of the past. But I refuse to allow myself to be hindered by it. I like how Warren Wearsby describes that word forgetting. He says to forget is to break the power of the past by living for the future. It's to break the power of the past by living for the future. And you know what? This was Paul's continual experience in his life. It's not just a forgetting a one-off thing, but no, it's the need here to keep on forgetting because that is the true sense of what the verb means here in the text. And that really shouldn't surprise us this morning. You consider everything that Paul has said. It needed to be that way. You think of what he's discussed. He hadn't apprehended. He hadn't arrived. And therefore, if he was going to be any use, if he was going to have any further success in serving the Lord, then he couldn't allow the past to consume his thinking. He couldn't allow it to occupy his mind in a way that would limit his effectiveness. And sadly, I believe that's the reality for many Christians today. We're so caught up in the past that it's become a constraint on living for the future, on moving forward. I believe there are a number of reasons for this, and I want to leave a few with you today. I believe there's a great failure to forget past sins. That's one thing. See, nothing will debilitate the life of a believer or limit their effectiveness in serving the Lord than living with the guilt of their past sins. They find themselves constantly being eaten alive by their sins. They're unable to forget those sins, unable to shake their past sins, unable to forget them, even though the Lord has forgotten them. The Lord has forgiven them. Christians living with the constant guilt of what they used to be. And if that describes anybody here this morning, then how are you to deal with it? Well, you are to deal with it in the same way that the Lord dealt with it. You are to put it under the blood of Christ. You deal with it by going to the Bible. By reminding ourselves of what the word of God says. Coming to God's promises and praying those promises back to the Lord. Lord, you promised to do this. Lord, you promised to do that, Lord. And I'm coming to hold you to that promise. Think of promises like in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. He says, I, even I, am he. that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Again, God's not saying that he somehow has a bad memory. It's impossible with God, he's perfect. Now what he's doing here is he's using human language in order to get something across to us, the reader. He's saying, I will no longer hold that sin against you. Your sin no longer will affect your standing with me. It will not influence my attitude toward you. And we find something similar recorded in the words of Paul. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8 and just the final two verses. In familiar words, Romans chapter 8, and we'll read verses 38 and 39. 
He says, therefore, I am persuaded. That's really saying he's confident. You can read it that way. For I am confident that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you're saved this morning, what does that mean for you? It means that absolutely nothing can change your standing in Christ this morning. You're accepted in the beloved. The only good that can come out of remembering your past sin and my past sin is that it ought to cause us to humble ourselves. It ought to cause us to have thankful hearts. It ought to draw us closer to the Christ. It ought to make us have a love for Christ, a greater love for Christ every single day because of what he's done for us. And to allow sin that's been forgiven to render us useless in the service of God, what does Paul say? He says, forgetting the things past. There's a failure to forget past sins, but there's also a failure to forget past sufferings. And referring to sufferings here, I'm not talking about physical sufferings. I'm talking about those sufferings that we experience in our hearts and in our minds. Sufferings that arise out of a sense of disappointment, a sense of frustration. Another Christian's failed you, another Christian's betrayed your trust. And that's caused you to become bitter and resentful. And let me tell you, and I can speak from experience again. Unless you find a way of overcoming those feelings, you will never do anything useful for the Lord. And you will never fulfill the potential that God might have for your life. Paul knew that better than most people. He writes this letter and he experiences for sure of suffering, heartache at the hands of other believers. Said it earlier, he was stoned, he was chased out of that city. Threatened, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. But what does Paul say? He says, forgetting those things that are past, it won't do you any good dwelling on them, and you need to let them go. You know, that's the same advice he gave in a different way to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, listen to what he says. He says, we're to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, despite all that Paul had suffered at the hands of men, and he suffered much. He was able to overcome bitterness. And he was able to overcome that bitterness because he realized that the hurt and the suffering he had experienced, it was absolutely nothing in comparison to what the Lord Jesus Christ had suffered for Paul. Paul sinned that nailed Christ to a cross and Christ had forgiven Paul of that sin. How does Peter describe Christ over there in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 23? One who was reviled, and yet he reviled not again. One, when he suffered, he threatened not. And we can receive no greater motivation this morning to forget our past sufferings than by reminding ourselves of the fact that Christ has forgiven you. 
And because he's forgiven you, because he's forgiven me, we ought also to forgive one another. It's a failure to forget our past sins and our past sufferings, but there's also a failure to forget our past successes. And you may find that statement strange initially. Why would you want to do that? Surely in looking back we can be encouraged. Surely it's good to look back and thank the Lord for what he's done. And of course it is. That's not what I'm saying. We should always be thankful to the Lord for what he's done. But at the same time, we need to avoid the danger that comes with that. With living in the past. You take the example of a boxer this morning. And that boxer at the start of his career, in the peak of his career, he's everything going for him. Great boxing technique, explosive knockout power. But then you fast forward to the end of his career and nobody's told him that he wasn't what he used to be. Very often what happens is this, that once unbeatable boxer then becomes a punching bag for everybody coming through. Relying on past successes, doesn't know when it's time to quit past victories. Relying on knockout power and boxing technique that long has left him. And he's not wanting to face up to the reality that he isn't what he used to be. And again, I think if we're honest this morning before the Lord, there is an element of that type of a mindset among Christians today. Living in the past and so caught up in reminiscing what they may call the good old days. Making statements like this, and I'm sure we've all heard those statements. The prayer meetings used to be full. This church used to be full. Sunday school has so many children in it. And you know what? I understand completely why people make those statements. When we look around us, there's so little to discourage us or encourage us. Fewer people attending church services. An aging congregation. Few children attending Sunday school. Apathy to the gospel all around us. But God hasn't changed. And I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying this morning. I'm in no way trying to diminish what the Lord has done in the past through men. But at the same time, we need to realize and recognize that past successes, they're not sufficient to meet the need of the church today. We can certainly learn from the past We can look to the past. We can see what men did in the past. How the Lord used them in the past. But we can't be found living in the past. The danger is that we do that. We'll spend so long reflecting on what the Lord has done. That we're not actually doing anything in the present. And Paul tells us to forget the past. Because the past isn't going to help us with our present battles. What do we need today? One thing we need today. It's an up-to-date experience of the power of the Holy Ghost. May we not be seen to be looking back at what's happened, but looking forward to what lies ahead. So in keeping our eyes on the prize, we need to acknowledge the present. We haven't arrived. We need to abandon the past. But we also need to be aware then of the potential. You look at how verse 13 ends. It says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
If you reach forth, you're literally stretching out. You're overextending yourself. You find the exact same word translated in a different way there in verse 12. It is the words there. Um, I'm in the wrong part. Verse 12, it is the words there that I might attain unto the resurrection, not as I had already attained, I follow after. That's the same word there. And this was something for Paul that was continual. It was habitual for him. It was a lifelong attitude, if you like. And again, we can use a sporting analogy. Paul's in a race. You ever watch the 100 meter final? And you'll be familiar with that kind of behavior. As an athlete approaches the finish line, what do they do? They dip their shoulders. They stretch forth their head. They try to get every little inch of advantage that they can. And do you know what I actually remember watching a race once? The guy was so committed to winning, he launched himself across the line. Both feet left the ground. So committed to win that race at great pain to himself. What's Paul actually referring to here when he makes the statement in verse 13? He's talking about the need to take every opportunity. When we reach forth, taking the opportunity that is before us, whether that opportunity is good, whether it's bad. And yet again, if we're honest this morning, do we always do that? Do we always come to a situation with that kind of mindset, particularly when it's bad, whether the Lord's put me there for a reason and going to embrace it? How can I use that opportunity to serve the Lord, to bring glory to his name? How can I use that situation to see all there's one for Christ? As we reflect upon our Christian experience this morning, can we truly say that we have done everything possible that we can? Are we stretching forth with every ounce of being that we have, every fiber in our body? Or is it a case that we're so busy with other things? That we just don't really care. We live in a world today that is so dark. It's so dark. It really is. It's so opposed to the gospel. There's so many people and they're rushing toward hell as fast as their feet can carry them. And the saddest thing is this. That they'll openly confess they do not care. <laughs> I don't care about going to hell. I'm looking forward to going to hell. You've heard it. But that shouldn't be a reason not to tell them. Christ speaks to his disciples and he speaks to us through his word. John chapter 4 verse 35, he tells us to lift up our eyes and we're to look. We're to look onto those fields which are white already unto harvest. And whether we're old or whether we're young today, we need to recognize that as believers, we have been given the greatest privilege today in serving Christ. It's the greatest privilege. And with that great privilege, of course, comes great responsibility. To share the gospel with those around us who are heading to, on their way to hell. If you're not saved this morning, let me speak to you for a moment. You need to realize that you're heading that way as well. You've sinned in your life. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. 
Yet the Bible says you can be forgiven of your sin. You can be made right for heaven this morning through Jesus Christ. Keeping our eyes on the prize, we need to acknowledge then the present. Abandon the past, be aware of the potential, but very quickly then we need to advance toward that prize. You read what's said in verse 14. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When you press something, you're doing something with an intense effort. And in speaking in this way, he's talking about being committed to what he calls the mark. That's the goal. And what is that goal for us? It's eternal life in heaven. It's perfect conformity to Christ. He's speaking about the moment that every believer will one day experience when he takes our vile bodies and they are fashioned like unto his glorious body. You turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as we finish this morning. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, read the final verse. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And this is what drove Paul to continue on in the midst of sufferings. It's not caring for the things of the world. He calls them temporal. It's choosing to focus on the eternal things. It's not caring what others would think of him. It's not caring what it would cost him or what he would lose along the way. Because at one point in Paul's life, you could say he had the world at his fingertips. And yet in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, he calls them but dung. They're absolutely worthless. Paul's desire was that he might win Christ and that one day he would receive the prize. What were Paul's parting words before he received that reward? You'll know them. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Unlike the athlete from Sri Lanka, we spoke about at the beginning, the important thing to focus on this morning is not on the winning, because as Christians, we have already won. It's about remaining committed, whatever the cost. It's never losing sight of that end goal and the reward of heaven that awaits every child of God. We have a limited time on this earth. We're swiftly moving toward the day of our death. And the challenge I leave with you this morning is this. Are you ready for that day? Have you made preparation for that day? Because death is a certainty that we all will face one day. Cannot avoid that eventuality. We all will die. And if you die in your sin, rejecting Jesus Christ, the prize that Paul speaks about here will never be yours. 
But the good news, the gospel this morning is that the prize remains within your reach while you have breath in your lungs, whilst you're alive this morning. You can be in heaven today. How can you be in heaven? It's by repenting of your sin this morning. And it's by trusting in all your heart with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's looking away from yourself, from your pride, from whatever's hindering you this morning. And it's looking to Christ. And it's trusting Christ. Because Christ alone is what you need this morning. He alone can meet your need. He alone can save your soul. And I trust and pray that if you're not saved this morning, then you will consider that. You will come to Christ. You will realize that this morning. That there's nothing to gain in the world. But there's everything to gain in Christ. It's eternal life today. There's a home in heaven that he's prepared for everyone that is his. The question I leave you this morning, are you ready for that day? Think about it. Are you ready to meet the Lord? How will you meet him on that day? Will he say to you on that day, come in, enter into your rest? Or will he say, depart from me, I never knew you? May God write that word upon our hearts today. May we take the encouragement that there is, but may we be challenged. May we be committed to serving the Lord, knowing that one day we will receive that great prize of heaven and eternal life. And may God write that word upon our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just... Still ourselves now at the end of this meeting and we thank thee Lord for even just the word of God to our hearts today. Thank thee Lord even just for the reminder even to my own heart Lord how frail I am. How easily Lord distraction can get in and take our minds off things. Lord I pray you'll even just give us a renewed burden to reach the lost. To tell them of Jesus who is mighty to save. I pray today, Lord, as we go our separate ways, that we will go home and we will think about what we've heard today. We'll not allow it just to be taken from us. But we'll really just think, Lord, in our hearts, where are we? What are we doing? What's our purpose? Are we doing anything for the Lord today? And I pray, Lord, you live and just bless every single person here today. You give them the desires of their heart. Lord, as we part the one from the other now, I pray you'll take us to our homes in safety. You'll be with us this afternoon. Bring us back again tonight in the gospel service. Help us to bring in visitors. Help us to speak to those loved ones this afternoon who are not saved and invite them in. We pray, Lord, all of these things in Jesus' name and for the honour for thy glory alone. Amen.